Good morning to you. Let me give you a very warm welcome to this service. Thank you so much for allowing me to come into your homes to share with you from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're going to continue our journey through. May I wish you a very happy Easter today. And I'd like to start off by thanking my friend Alistair for making this possible through his technical uh, know-how. Please turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. We're going to read from verse 50 on into chapter 24, down to the end of verse 12. So Luke writes, and the heading in my Bible is Jesus' burial, and then it goes on to the resurrection. Verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked him for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men clothed in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and went away wondering to himself what had happened. What a marvelous passage of Scripture. We're going to look at it, but let's just pray for a moment before we do. Father, we thank you very much that you've given us your precious word. And we have to say that sometimes when we read it, we find it a little bit difficult to understand. But we thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. And we pray that this morning the Holy Spirit might break it into very small pieces, that we might grab hold of it. And in grabbing hold of it, that we might understand it. And in understanding it, that our souls might be thrilled to the very core of our beings as we grab hold of this wonderful truth of the resurrection. So please, Lord, come and minister to us through the power of your Spirit and grant that the response from every soul might be one of praise and thanksgiving to you 
for the kindness that you have shown us in giving us this account of your truth. So bless us, we pray, in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I guess it's very hard for us to imagine what it was like to be in that crowd gathered around the cross at Calvary. I imagine that the brutality of the scene would have affected us deeply. And I suspect, too, that we would have found that thick darkness quite disturbing. And if we'd been close enough to the cross, we might just have heard the Lord Jesus say these words, It is finished. Really interesting expression, tetelestai in the Greek, and it's borrowed from the world of, ac of accounting. Now, if, if you had a bill sent to you, and you went to pay the bill, having paid the bill, probably it would be stamped paid in full. And that's exactly the expression that Jesus called out. It is finished, tetelestai. His work of Redemption was complete. His paying the, the bill that the debt our sin had incurred, had been, it had been paid in full. How wonderful. Well, having cried out, it is finished, Jesus went on and he called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. This was a shout of triumph. It was actually a bedtime prayer that Jewish children used to pray. And it tells us that the Lord died confidently, willingly, and victoriously, trusting absolutely in his Father. But that was Jesus. But none of his followers had any hope at all. They hadn't even the slightest glimmer of hope. And that's why most of them ran away. In verses 50 and 51, we join our reading. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Arimathea was thought to be a, a village just a little bit north of Jerusalem. And we learn that Joseph was a member of the council, the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish council. Yet strangely, neither he nor Nicodemus, uh, another member of the council, were actually present when the council voted to condemn Jesus. And John tells us, or rather Mark tells us, interestingly enough, that it had been a unanimous vote. They all condemned him as worthy of death. And that's why we think that uh, Nicodemus nor Joseph were, were present. Perhaps the meeting had been called and they hadn't been invited. We're, we're not sure. We're, we're not given any detail. It may have been he, he was out of step with his peers. Perhaps not. John gives us some other information. It says, now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. So he was a secret uh, follower of Jesus. Now, I think that there are many secret followers of Jesus in our world today, secret because they fear the disapproval of others. But what a shock it must have been uh, for Joseph to learn of the decision to crucify Jesus. 
And while we're not given any detail, we feel absolutely sure that Joseph must have made his way to Calvary. Wonder what was going through his mind as his eyes lingered on that central cross. Well, he was so impacted by the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus that he decided that he would no more be a secret disciple. In verse 52 of Luke, we read that when Jesus died, he, he went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. He took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. So, in deciding not to be a secret disciple anymore, he didn't give any thought to whatever risk was involved. There was no time to waste. The Sabbath was coming at sunset. And when the Sabbath came, all activity stopped. It was a little bit like this lockdown in, 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 in one sense. And he didn't want the body of Jesus to remain on the cross all the way through the Sabbath. So he went and asked for permission to take the cross down. And having received permission, he gently took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in his own tomb. Now surely, Joseph, like his colleagues, was out of hope. His only consolation was that he'd sought to honor Christ by giving him his own tomb. And the women followers of Jesus, who had never been secret followers, because they'd been very faithful in following Jesus, they'd witnessed the gruesome crucifixion, and they hadn't run away. And I think they would have deeply approved of Joseph's actions. It, it says in verse 55, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes but they rested on the Sabbath in obedient to the commandment. Because of the time pressure, the body of Jesus had not been properly anointed according to the custom. And when the sun rose after the Sabbath, these women were determined to be ready to do for the body of Jesus what had not been done. And I don't imagine that when they got to their homes that they slept much as they waited. You see, like Joseph, they had no hope. All they could hope to do was to honor his body. And so we find these folks, these followers of Jesus, bewildered. Now, we must not let our knowledge of what happens dull us to the dark sackcloth that covered these women's souls. They were devastated. They were distressed, depressed, exhausted, and absolutely bereft of hope. Mark 16, verse 3. They asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? They were so concerned to anoint the body of Jesus that they didn't actually think about how they were going to get to the body of Jesus. Clearly, they didn't expect anything except more sorrow. 
Chapter 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. Now they were surely confused and bewildered. They actually made the assumption that Jesus' body had been stolen. John tells us that. Uh, Mary saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. She was so upset that she was weeping, but she was convinced that somebody had stolen the body of Jesus and that just intensified her pain. It never occurred to her that Jesus had been resurrected. So these folks were absolutely bewildered. And then we find that they were rebuked. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. What an extraordinary sight that must have been. These two angels must have radiated uh, the intense uh, brightness uh, of God, the holiness of God. No wonder the women were frightened and they bowed down with their faces to the ground and undoubtedly uh, there was respect there. Maybe they were avoiding the brightness like Saul on the Damascus Road. But we, we, we read that, that they were frightened. The men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? What a great question. Now John Stott said that Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion. The concept lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. Now if you stop and think about it for a moment, anybody can claim to be a savior as Jesus claimed to be the Savior. But Jesus validated his claim to have power over life and death by not only dying, but by taking up his life again. If Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, then he's just a figure in history, and not a good figure either, because it would mean that he had told us lies. But he didn't tell us lies. And his claims were validated by the resurrection. It's no surprise that for centuries, Satan has sought to undermine the truth of the resurrection. And he's done it through a series of lies. And the first lie he spawned was that the disciples came and stole Christ's body. But how could they have done that? Because there were soldiers guarding the tomb. The tomb had been sealed with Roman authority so that nobody was allowed to go near it. How could they have overcome the guards? How could they then have opened the tomb to secure the body? But perhaps the biggest obstacle is the fact that the apostles themselves did not believe that he would be resurrected. So why would they steal his body in order to perpetrate a hoax? It doesn't make sense. And then the second lie is that Jesus did not really die in the, on the cross, but only swooned, and when he was put into a cold tomb, he revived. 
But Pilate checked carefully with a centurion to see whether Jesus was dead. And those Roman soldiers were experts in execution. And they broke the legs of the two thieves. Why? In order to cause them to slump down to cut off their breathing. But when they came to Christ, they felt no need to break his legs. They just took a spear and thrust it into his heart. How could a cool tomb transform Christ's body so that he could appear and disappear and walk through walls and doors? Resurrection-denying churches look for Christ among the dead. But the angel said, he's not here, he's risen. So the folks, the ladies were bewildered, they were rebuked. But then the angels got involved in instructing them. He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be rose be raised again. Then they remembered his words. They were challenged to remember the prophecies that Jesus had made time and again in Galilee. Look at chapter 9, verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now they'd heard but they hadn't really understood. Could it be that they were now just beginning to understand that there was something going on here? We don't know if they immediately believed that he had risen, but they remembered. Now, how sad it is when you and I forget God's word and as a consequence live defeated lives. Now, God gives us the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? John 14, verse 26, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, the Holy Spirit can reveal new insights to us, but please understand, he can only remind us of what we already know. This is really important. He can reveal new insights to us, but he can only remind us of what we already know. And if that's the case, you and I are to be people of the book. We are to be people who not only mark our Bibles, we are to be people whose lives are marked by what we learn in our Bibles. So these women were bewildered, they were rebuked, then they were instructed, and having been instructed, they began witnessing. They just kind of couldn't keep it in. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Now, I'm not sure how much they understood, but they were very quick to speak about what they had seen and heard. I, I don't think that it was possible just for them to keep it in. It just overflowed from. They were so excited. 
They, they told all these things, not just some of the things, but all of the things, to the eleven and to all the others. They didn't want to leave anybody out. Uh, and it says, uh, Mary, the mother of James, and Mary, Mary Magdalene, they, they, they told this to the apostles. I, I, part of me just wonders, did they all speak at once, all trying to share what they had witnessed? I'm not altogether sure we're not given that detail. But you know something? The men were not impressed. It says in verse 11, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They didn't believe the women. They regarded the women's witness as female hysteria. And various commentators uh, use different words to express their response. Uh, one man talked about uh, the, the women's silly talk. Uh, another talked about uh, the, the disciples' response by saying humbug, or, or the women were babbling. Now, the truth is that you and I probably would have done the same thing or worse, given our own sin and the dullness of our hearts. Nevertheless, these were the apostles, men that Jesus had prayed for an entire night before calling. Their faith was to be the foundation of the church. And Jesus had told them numerous times explicitly about his death and resurrection. But they dismissed the women's witness about an empty tomb and called the angel's words humbug. Like so many of us, they had heard the words of Jesus, but they hadn't heard the message. And that comes as a real challenge to my own heart. Oh yes, I've read the words many times, but have I really grabbed hold of the message? And surprisingly, they'd never stopped and asked, what actually did Jesus mean by these things that he had said. They had failed to grab hold of the meaning of the truth that Jesus had communicated. Now Jesus had prayed in John 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify means to make holy, make them holy by the truth, and your word is truth. And the little graphic up there, the picture of the Bible, covered in dust with the letters, the little words, read me, written uh, in the dust. That, that's a message for us. Because we are sanctified, we are made holy by the truth, and God speaks to us by the Bible. How important it is that we engage with God. We need to meet Jesus. Where do we meet him? We meet him in the Bible. How very important that is. And if we are to grow in our faith, it will be because we're able by the, enabled by the Spirit of God to grab hold of what God's Word teaches us. Now, Peter's response was terrific. He did what each of us has to do in the light of the resurrection. He went to find out for himself, and that's what we need to do. It says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the, the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now note that not only did Peter get up and go to find out for himself, 
But there was an element of urgency here. He ran to the tomb. Now, I don't know if, if you know Jesus this morning. I don't know if you've ever met Jesus. I don't know if you've just plugged in because you've come across the website. But you need to discover if this is true. And Peter ran to the tomb. And I want to suggest that there's a degree of urgency here. And yet, strangely enough, Peter's inspection led to wonder. It didn't lead to belief. He saw the empty tomb, but he was still some distance away from what we might call an Easter faith. But when he finally understood, and when he finally grabbed hold of an Easter faith, what an impact the truth of the resurrection made on him. We read about that in Acts chapter 2. Um, Jesus had ascended into heaven, uh, the disciples had been met together in that upper room, fearful of the Jews. The Holy Spirit had come from God upon them and filled them with power and with a passion to share the gospel. And so Peter stands up in front of this crowd that he had reason to believe were exceedingly hostile, and he, he, he just let them have it. He didn't try to wrap his words up with, with nice, soft thoughts. He just said it straight. He said, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold of him. Wow, that was powerful. You see, Peter had grabbed hold of the truth. There is a rather wonderful truth that emerges from this story, as it does in none of the other uh, gospel accounts. And it's this, that the disciples did not invent this resurrection story. You see, at first they neither understood it nor believed it. None of the gospels tell us how Jesus was resurrected because none of the gospel writers were actually there to witness it. How did they resist creatively imagining such a spellbinding story for the church? They resisted because they were not myth-makers, but witnesses. And one commentator has said very helpfully, the evidential value of the disciples' slowness to believe cannot be overrated. The only reasonable explanation for the apostles' devotion, even at the cost of their own lives, is one, firstly, they saw the empty tomb. Then, secondly, they met the risen Lord. And thirdly, they came to believe in the Word of God. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. I think it's important to underline that expression, first importance. This is the core of the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. There's a little phrase that's repeated twice there. 
that we do well to take note of. And it's this, according to the scriptures. You see, if you and I want to grab hold of truth, we find it not in listening to other folks' sermons, though they may be good. We find it by going to the source of truth, which is the word of God. And the fact that Jesus died on that cross for us and rose from the dead is evidence that he was really who he claimed to be, the Son of God. You see, trusting Jesus is not a risk. Trusting Jesus means that the death he died on Calvary, when he shouted out, it is finished, the bill paid in full, means that if we trust him, our bill is paid in full too. Let me ask you a question. When you were growing up, did anyone ever have to sit you down and to teach you how to tell lies, how to be selfish, how to be covetous, how to get angry? So where did all these things come from? Well, they came from our hearts. And that's the consequence of our great, 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 great grandfather Adam's sin. And it has affected every man, woman, and child. But it never affected Jesus. Because as deity, he stepped into humanity to offer a sacrifice for our sins that to clear a debt that we never could. And that's why this verse in Romans chapter 8, 1 and 2 is so wonderful on this Easter Sunday morning. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We bless God. Christmas is a great celebration. But you know, Christmas without Easter would be pretty meaningless. The resurrection of Christ validates every claim that he ever made. So let me just finish by asking you very simply, where do you stand in relation to this message? Are you able to say with your hand in your heart, there is therefore now no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus? If you can't say that, why not? The Lord Jesus is lovely, and he stands with his arms open wide to embrace all who will come to him. It would be a wonderful thing if on this Easter day some folks might discover the reality of Christ, meet him, and be able next Easter to celebrate their first spiritual birthday. Well, God bless you. And I pray that as the day unfolds for you, that you might dwell on these things and enjoy them and the, and the truth of the resurrection because it is the most wonderful good news for the world. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity of looking at your word. We're so grateful for the, for the account of the resurrection. And we thank you for its truth and what it means, Lord just so wonderful to know that sin is forgiven. Thank you that you deliver us 
The psalmist says, you deliver us because you delight in us. And we're just amazed at that, O Lord, because in truth, very few folks delight in us. We often don't delight in ourselves, but the thought that you delight in us so much that you want to deliver us from the consequences of our own sinfulness. Oh, thank you so much, Lord. And we do want to lift our hearts and our voices to praise you for the reality of the resurrection, that Jesus lives. He lives in the power of an endless life, and that's the life he gives to us. So we pray for one another at this time uh, when we're struggling a little bit with this lockdown, O Lord, that we might, as it were, wherever we are, be shut in with Jesus, and may, knowing Jesus, change our lives, and may we bring joy to your heart as we seek to praise you. We ask these things as we commit one another into your care and keeping in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you, folks.